going on 14. Hello and welcome to 40 going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And some weeks on this podcast, we talk about subjects that are of universal interest. And some weeks, we just talk about that band we like that nobody else cares about. This week is more like that second one. More like exactly that second one. <laughs> kind of weirdness is Joel going to pull this week? Says the right said Fred guy. Don't yeah. Talk, do you not talk ill? Of Hey, they're happy I'm talking about him at all. I know. Their little, little, little radar dishes on their heads just went off. They're like, someone said our name. Yes, this week we are going to talk about favorite albums. So, obviously, Starship. Yes. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> Who knew this? it was that easy? <laughs> Joel raises his hand. If you like raising your hand, you might also like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Salt Lake, Joel's own The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, The Internet with Scott yeah. the Pool Boy, the Empty Rant Podcast, and of course, the Red Dead Radio Hour. Wow, wow. I was giving you guys a break this week. Oh, okay. So uh, looking for some more of this stuff. Uh, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM. We are on Spotify and on iHeartRadio also. Just search for 40 Going On 14. And if you'd like to give us a call, you can call us at 708 now Wrap. 708-669-9727. Or you can join us on Discord. The link to that is on our Facebook page. Shazam. They don't have Facebook. And good for you. <laughs> In that case... I don't have Facebook. You know, no, Facebook was taken away from you. Well, yeah. yeah. But he hasn't fought it, very hard to get it back at this point. That, that's true. Yeah. End result is the same. Yeah. More like Facebook doesn't have you. Ooh. Exactly. There you yeah, go. they they took Facebook away from me, so I said, I'll show you. I'll let you do it. <laughs> right now, Mark Zuckerberg's antenna is tingling. <laughs> Call in right said Fred. <laughs> what, a, what a strange group of Avengers that would be. <laughs> right now, they're in the Fredmobile <laughs> heading to Texas. <laughs> Must build this city. <laughs> they're picking up Grace Slick on the way. <laughs> what is happening? That's that's like the the new Mike Tyson mysteries. Oh, great, okay. great slick right said Fred and <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg solving crimes and Jeffrey Epstein's ghost and uh, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> what the hell? Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. What was that? <laughs> That's I think that, that, that was one of the Mars. That was the, one of the Mars attacks. Aliens with a cold. <laughs> I think it's about that time. Yeah. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. What? Did he say Bort? Yeah. I didn't mean to if it did. <laughs> What's going on? Come on, Come on Bort. Bort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week, Patrick has chosen, quite topically, November 30th, 1982, the release of Thriller by Michael Jackson, the greatest selling album of all time, 
110 million units sold worldwide. Damn. And could potentially be one of our favorite albums because uh, the listeners should know. We don't know what we've picked. I don't know what I've picked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have not discussed this. So if we all pick the same album, this is going to be strange. <laughs> going to be like Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> going to go into sudden death. That's not where I was going with that joke, but okay. Remember, remember, that, remember that song? Remember That's that song? where I was going with the joke. <laughs> not sudden death. <laughs> Yikes. All right, so music. The number one song in the land was Truly by Lionel Richie, which lasted two weeks before being kicked off by Mickey by Tony Basil. Ah, uh, good, good times, good times. Okay, so normally I, I man the ramparts when uh, Patrick's going to talk about how much Lionel <laughs> Richie sucks, but I can't get behind Truly. Yeah. No. <laughs> not a good song. No, Definitely. not a, even even for him, it's it's bad. So we're saying Mickey is definitely a better song then. No, oh, we're yeah. not. Are we? I am. It's more enjoyable. I, I mean, I don't think it's like something that says something amazing for society, but I think it's a good song. Okay, just me then. No, no, I'm not disagreeing. Like, I don't even know what I don't even know that I know what, what truly sounds like. Or I don't remember it anyway. Imagine a Lionel Richie song. There you go. Where he sing he says truly a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was not it. <laughs> Lionel sounds like shit. World's heaviest kid has surgery. Saggy, saggy skin, skin surgery. surgery. Truly. That, that, oh, that's, that, that's the word I picked up on. Truly. Out of Ooh, all of that. And I feel with you. hear more from the saggy kid <laughs> <laughs> felt like i was at like a high school dance yeah yeah that, exactly it's the hands on the hips and rock back and forth song save enough room for the holy spirit <laughs> i don't want any of that all right so carrie lynn hilson was born december 5th she is an american singer songwriter record producer vocal arranger and actress she was born and raised in Decatur, Georgia, and spent most of her youth working with producer Anthony Dent as a songwriter and background vocalist for several R&B and hip-hop artists. Her breakthrough came in 2007 after appearing on Timbaland's world chart-topping single and the acronym of the week, TWIA. Pretty sure that stands for Terrence Williams isn't Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? That, that big Timbaland hit. <laughs> No, that's, uh, sorry, The Way I Are. That's The Way I Are. Huh. Huh. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah, music was very thin this week. So moving on from November 25th through 27th, the Jamaica World Music Festival was held in Montego Bay, Jamaica. 
Acts over the three-day festival included Peter Tosh, Rick James, The Clash, Grateful Dead, Aretha Franklin, and in their final show before disbanding, Wheeze. That's a good, really good mix. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty solid cross-section. You got a little bit of everything in there. I would love to see Peter Tosh and Rick James on the same stage together. That would be entertaining. I, I want to see think... John Tesh and Rick James on the same <laughs> I want to see Yanni and Rick James. That's pretty much like John Tesh. I want to see Rick James and Rick James. <laughs> right? Double Rick James. Bitch. They need some hip hop in there, though, like like some Sugar Hill Gang or something that's unique. Houdini. Yeah, that's who they should have had. Houdini. <laughs> Houdini. I mean, in 82, there was the hip hop scene, but like, I don't know that there was any artists on the same level as Grateful Dead and Aretha Franklin yet. The freaks come out at night. Do do do. Freaks, freaks come, come out, out at night. night. What 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 what? The freaks come out. <laughs> what the hell is going on? I love on? that album. <laughs> I love that song. But That's like, a great... it's definitely not something that in '82 the average person would put on the same level as Rick James and the Clash. Definitely not. It's my favorite album from that. Oh, <laughs> the freaks come out. <laughs> no. It's but I, I had that on cassette. What, 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 what? I had the uh, the extended LP. Oh, you're one of those mm. guys. Mm-hmm. The ELP, huh? I probably still have it in this stack of records surrounding myself. In between Conway Twitty and <laughs> the Eagles. <laughs> Tennessee Ernie Ford. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd love to listen to some Tennessee Ernie Ford. Uh, and finally, in music, on December 3rd, ABBA released their final original single, Under Attack. Though a split was never officially announced, they never recorded another song together. Mamma Mia. Mia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There, that's the end of that. Now, here I go again. Movie. (laughs) The number one movie in the land was E.T., the extraterrestrial. Yep. That's 82. That's 82 in a nutshell. All right, Lucas York Black, born November 29th, is an American film and television actor best known for his role in American Gothic. He also had roles in films such as Sling Blade, Flash, Crazy in Alabama, All the Pretty Horses, Friday Night Lights, Jarhead, The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, Get Low, Legion, and Seven Days in Utopia, and the TV show NCIS New Orleans. LL Cool J, rapper from the 80s, who could have been at that show. E.T., the extraterrestrial starring Houdini. <laughs> <laughs> Completely changes everything. The elves come out at night. <laughs> also born on November 29th, Gemma Chan is an English actress known for her role as Astrid in Crazy Rich Asians and as Anita slash Mia on the television drama Humans. She has had supporting roles in the Doctor Who special The Waters of Mars. Secret Diary of a Call Girl, Fresh Meat, and Bedlam. Chan continued to gain recognition for her roles in high-profile films, including Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Transformers The Last Night. She portrayed Minerva in the Marvel Studios superhero film Captain Marvel in 2019 and will pe- play Cersei in The Eternals sometime in 2021. Hmm. Is The Eternals another comic book? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the one with the the giant 
bulldog with the little antenna on his head and the guy who can't talk. Nope, that's the nope. Inhumans. Oh, yeah, Inhumans, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the Eternals is one of those teams that is such a deep cut that even I don't know very much about them. Yeah, they're they're not exactly the, the A-list team. Well, Angelina Jolie's in it, though. That's all I know for but sure. But then again, neither were the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. I mean, this is even a slightly deeper cut than that, but I'm just looking forward to see Kumail Nanjiani as a superhero. Right. Yeah. He already is in my eyes. So he's going to be in that movie? Oh, yeah. He he put on Instagram his post getting ready for the movie workout body, and he is like insanely jacked or was, yeah. I, I saw the pictures of him. I didn't know what he did that for. So. Yeah, he's ripped. Yeah, I'm sure by now it's back to something closer to what he was before, especially considering quarantine, but because that is not a maintainable figure. Or he looks like Dave Batista now because he's been in quarantine. <laughs> well, he's been doing his lifting and eating. Yep. <laughs> All right. Gandhi, Best Picture Academy Award winner, directed by Richard Attenborough and starring Ben Kingsley and John Gilgood, premiered in New Delhi on November 30th. The following day, Tootsie, directed by Sidney Pollack and starring Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange, premiered in Hollywood. Those are some big movies with big directors and big cast. Yep. I don't yeah. actually think I've seen Gandhi since about like 83. I've never seen it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually seen it. It was one where my parents rented it when it first came out, so I'm sure I saw it. So it might have been closer to 84, but I haven't seen it since. Now that I know it's got John Gilgood in it, that's a better chance I will see it. I like him. I mean, I like Ben Kingsley. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have anything against him. I'm just not a, like a... I don't make sure to see everything he's in. Right. right. And finally, for movies, Martin Allen Feldman was a British actor, comedian, and comedy writer known mostly for his prominent misaligned eyes. Uh-oh. He starred in several British comedy f- series, including At Last the 1948 Show and Marty, which won two BAFTA awards. Feldman was part of an ensemble cast of British comic actors that appeared in The Bed Sitting Room, his film debut. He starred in the comedy. Every Home Should Have One, one of the most popular comedies of 1970. Feldman was the first Saturn Award winner for Best Supporting Actor for his role as Igor in Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, wait, that's probably there. <laughs> Feldman died from a heart attack in a hotel room in Mexico City on December 2nd at the age of 48 during the making of the film Yellowbeard. The film was subsequently dedicated to him. Too bad it couldn't have been a better film dedication, but... That sucks. 48? I mean, that's so close. Uh, that's frightening. Well, he was a notorious smoker and drinker and bad eater. I mean, he, he ate, like they said, something like half a dozen eggs a day. He only drank milk. He put cream in, in, in his coffee that he drank religiously, and he smoked about five cartons a day. Cartons? Yep. Or uh, five packs. Sorry, five packs a day. Oh. I was like, <laughs> yeah. He also was- <laughs> Sleeping much if it was five cartons. <laughs> five packs of cigarette a day. No, he just sticks one into the carton in his mouth and lights the other. <laughs> he smokes the plastic. He just carries around a everything. wheelbarrow for, his, for all his cigarettes, lights him at once, and just hot boxes. No wonder his eye was wonky. <laughs> the nicotine fit. Yeah. Uh, Marty Feldman, great comedic actor. Oh, my yeah. God, yes. And... I mean, just just if you take Young Frankenstein alone, fucking hilarious. Damn your eyes. 
Too late. Too late. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Why are you talking like that? I thought you wanted to. <laughs> I love that movie. All right. So TV top shows in the land are 1982's 60 Minutes, Dallas, MASH, and Magnum P.I. I was on Dallas once. We were on a plane trip. We had a layover on Dallas. I just stay an hour on Dallas. And then we <laughs> spent a week on Hawaii. <laughs> I just saw that episode today. How Thank the hell you. were we landing in Falcon Crest? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, if Knott's Landing was taken. <laughs> Jeez. All right, so Elisha and Cuthbert Fentuf. Fentif? Fen... Fan, Fanuf. Fanuf. That's the sound you make when you She doesn't use that, that Fanuf, name Fanuf. In, her, in her professional career, so I don't know how to pronounce that. She's just Alicia her. Cuthbert. He, yeah, I wonder yeah. if that's a married name. It's when you have too much cheese. Fanuf. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so she was born November 30th of this year and is a Canadian actress and model. She achieved fame playing Kim Bauer in the series 24 and has also appeared in Old School, The Girl Next Door, and the 2005 remake of House of Wax. She's currently on the ranch. It's crazy that she comes up this week because just last week I was kind of wondering whatever happened to her. And now I know. The ranch ranch. is, well, that series is over, so she's not on the ranch anymore. She's on Dallas now. (laughs) But. The hell, Joel? <laughs> friends don't let friends do Dallas. <laughs> Is that true, Patrick? Moving on to sports. On November 24th, the Baltimore Orioles' Cal Ripken was named AL Rookie of the Year. Kepler Christoffel Wessels is a South African-Australian cricketer commentator and former cricketer, a left-handed opening batsman who captained South Africa after playing 24 tests for Australia. He became the first South African-born person to play for Australia and the 13th Australian player to score a century on debut when he did that on November 27th of this week. Wessels dominated the English bowling with scores of 162 in the first innings and 46 in the second. He was instrumental in Australia's victory by seven wickets and was given the Man of the Match award. He eventually played four tests in his debut series and scored 386 runs at an average of 48.25. Since retiring, he has been a lawn bowls competitor, which I think is like the bocce ball. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Did <laughs> you play bocce ball against a guy who used to bowl for be a professional, you know, cricket pitcher? I Bowler. think I'm closer. Yeah. My Bowler. ball's in the other yard. <laughs> <laughs> On November 26th. Howard Corsell called his last boxing match as he resigned out of anger after the bout that featured Randall Tex Cobb versus the hard-hitting Larry Holmes. While Cobb was known for his ability to take a beating, Holmes was known as one of the hardest-hitting heavyweights of all time. Despite making it the entire 15 rounds without being knocked down, the beating that Cobb took in the lopsided match prompted outrage from Cosell, who called out the referee for not calling the match while live on air. Wow. And that is the same Randall Tex Cobb that is the actor. Way to stick to your guns, though, Howard Cosell. Yep. Uh, apparently not a big fan of Howard Cosell Tex after the match said, if it'll get him to stop commentating football, I'll play that for a week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that wasn't very funny. <laughs> was that Howard Cosell? It was not. <laughs> <laughs> that was Woody Allen doing Howard Cosell. 
Which yes. is worse, speaking Howard Cosell or not speaking English <laughs> at all. <laughs> nice. And lastly, on November 28th, Germany's Sylvia Hanukka staged a remarkable comeback to upset tennis icon Martina Navratilova 1-6-6-3-6-4, her only WTA Tour championship. Time to celebrate Hanukkah. <laughs> Here comes Sylvia Hanukkah. I, I mean, that's the best way I could come up with to pronounce that name. Yeah, no, I think I you're mean, right. It, it looks like it. Yeah. Unless Hanika? it's like Hanika. 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 Oh, man. Play us off, keyboard Joel. Get us out of here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the freaks come out. <laughs> So back then, you would go to these things called record shops and buy an album. And you would listen to that album until you couldn't stand it anymore. And you would buy a new album and switch to something else. You sound like a crazy old man. Don't I? Yeah, you can go there and you can actually listen to them before you bought them, too, in some places. Kind of crazy. But you would have... Whether it be cassette, well, I don't know if any of us had eight tracks, go to cassette tapes or CDs, packs, sitting in the car. We're talking about the albums that hung out with us when we were driving, the ones that were continually in our players, and uh, the albums for the then and the now that we kind of bring with us when we go, just because we love to listen to them. Yeah, maybe not the albums we think are the best, but the ones that were our, our personal favorites. Mm-hmm. Because I actually think that my what I think is the best album, that's answering a different question. Oh, it totally is. Because just because something uh, you may have a best album doesn't mean that there isn't another album that you love singing along to or you love driving to or just really gets you amped up for the day or something. It's kind of like when somebody says, what's your favorite movie? And it's like, was well, it the movie that I think is the best because it has an amazing script and it's shot beautifully and the acting's great? Or is it the one that I could watch 10 times in a week and not get sick of it? Yeah, my best movie can be anywhere between Big Trouble and Little China to Star Crash, depending on what mood I'm in. Yikes. There you go, Pat. Some days I'm in a very, very bad mood. <laughs> but yeah, that's what we're talking about, um, which I think is kind of interesting because I think for the I think the second half of the show is going to be I had challenges with that. I won't lie. I guess I have been chosen just because we're going in introduction order on uh, what my favorite album of the then is. And uh, talking to my wife, and she's like, what are you doing for the show this week? Like, yeah, we're doing favorite albums for the then and the now. And she goes, oh, you know, what are you, what are you thinking of? I go, so I've got some ideas for the then already. And she goes, okay, which in excess album is it? That's kind of what I was thinking too. <laughs> That's hilarious. I started queuing up, and the first thing I typed was "play in excess," and I was just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the only thing I could think of when I was thinking of then and now. That's the only band that popped into my head. Yeah, and you know, it it literally was me listening to every in excess album that I own. I mean, all the way up until the now, um, which uh, dark dark times. I went with uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are, which came out after X, and this one was released in 1992. 
so you may recognize it. It's the one the CD case has a picture of the three three kids on it dressed dressed kind of like like military outfits of red and blue outfits. It was released after they came back from their <clears throat> they had just done a tour in the ninety ninety one. They did ten months on the road with hundred and eighty concerts, which is insane. And came back and recorded Live Baby Live, which is just, a, you know, they put that together for that. But the thing is, after they did this, after they did the, the concert, Welcome to Wherever You Are is the kind of point where they they got a, a experimental. It's like they finally were comfortable enough to step out of in excess that was X, that was Kick and all that, which had everything from kind of like Beatles-esque sitars in the songs to a 60-piece orchestra in, uh, you know, the song uh, Baby Don't Cry. And uh, one th- interesting thing about this is that this was the first album by an Australian artist to debut on the UK album chart at number one since ACDC's Back in Black. A great album, great songs. This one, this one I think, has got a, a range of ballad to just straight out rock for them heaven sent is probably one of my favorite songs on there but i think if you can go with my number one song off this album it's probably not enough time if i could just be everything everyone to you this life would just be so easy not enough time for all that i want for you not enough yeah, uh, that one just all around, I think, gets the the soul of Michael Hutchinson's singing out. Great song. I mean, but also Heaven Sent, opening uh, questions. It's this album, just thinking about it and like literally going back to my CD cases that I had in the car. It was since I bought it at Busy Bee CDs in Naperville, right near North Central College. <laughs> it has been a staple in my in my CD cases or on my downloads on my phone for I can play while I'm driving. Yeah, I can say I actually don't know this album very well. Like, I know Kick. Well, like, I think anyone who is even peripherally a sort of fan of NXS probably knows Kick. Yeah. Kick was their big... Like, oh my God, these guys are amazing type of thing. Lots of, I mean, all the songs on Kick were played on uh, on stations and everything. Like I said, this is kind of like that weird, like when the Beatles got really experimental. And I'm not even comparing in excess to the Beatles whatsoever, but <laughs> this is one of those where they're kind of like, we just got off 180 shows, eight, you know, 18 shows a month. It's um, kind of their lamb lies down on Broadway. Yeah, it's yeah, we're done. We're we're just going to do whatever we want right now. And this is what came out of it. And it's got great ratings. By the end of it, it reached number 10 in Canada, reached platinum in 97 for a million copies in the United States. It peaked at number 16 on the Billboard Top 200. If you haven't heard this one, I mean, definitely give it a listen because it's got every range of in excess style. Like I said, from Baby Don't Cry to Heaven Sent, the guitars, the horns. Again, like I said, beautiful girl with a full 60-piece orchestra at the uh, Aussie Concert Hall and all that. It's just a good sampling of an excess cross board. So there you go. I guess that means it's my turn. It is. <laughs> it is. 
I had to choose between two different CDs, and one of them I don't think would be any surprise to you guys at all. The one that did not win was Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell 2. Huh, okay. Yeah. That came. It was a very close second. That used to stay in my CD changer all the time. But the album that I chose was something that we have talked about on other music shows before, the uh, female singer shows. This is Concrete Blonde, their album Bloodletting. Oh. Now, what year was this? 90. 1990 was when it yeah. came out? Yep. Okay, I'm just tracking something here in my brain, because Mike's was 92, and yours is 90. And I'm, I know what mine is. I'm, I'll be curious what Josh's is. So just throwing that out there. So we're all in the same time frame. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's all right. Yeah, I just I really I really enjoy Jeanette Le- Napolitano's voice um, and her songwriting. Her lyrics are, are really strong. And I don't know. I just like Concrete Blonde a lot. I wish they lasted a little longer, but they only put out like three albums total. And if I had to pick a favorite song, I would probably go with The Sky is a Poisonous Garden. Well, that's upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great Shadowrun type song. Yeah, that's actually been used in a couple of different soundtracks on like like a CSI show when they're in like a rave scene or whatever. I've heard it playing. Hmm. I've legit I uh, outside of the you know the the popular radio song Joey. Yeah. Is there another one? Is there a second one? What's that was going their on? biggest one? No. No, that's Four Non Blondes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Caroline got a little bit of play but not much. I I I'm relatively unfamiliar with them so i mean i i huh. know who they are but yeah I've, i can honestly say i've never listened to an, an any any of the albums yeah i'm looking this up it's got a uh, peter buck is on here steve Wynn, andy preboy huh it's all uh it's helping out names. on this one yeah what were you gonna say josh i was gonna say I, i'm looking through all of their albums and i if someone had forced me i don't think i could have guessed one of their songs like i've heard of them but i i just don't really know them. They didn't get enough attention, in my opinion. I mean, I know that the people that like them are pretty like fanatical about them. It's not kind of here or there, but yeah, it's it's few and far between that I've come across people that are like, oh yeah, Concrete Blonde. A- other than Joey, which I think I, I know that one's been used in in oh, yeah. media, uh, some forms of media, whether it's movies or TV. Okay. I have heard their version of the Leonard Cohen Everybody Knows. Okay. Was that on Natural Born Killers? Uh no, that was actually uh oh, no, that was that was actually Leonard Cohen. That was actually Leonard Cohen, but I've heard the okay. cover. I think I know that either. Nuts. That's an interesting it choice. On, oh, it was on Pump Up the Volume, so you have heard it, Joel. Okay. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Jeez, my god, I haven't thought of that movie in forever. I need to revisit <laughs> that one. All right. Well, I, I'm trying to figure out how to come at this because Mike had this very thoughtful and this large like exposition on the album, which was fantastic. 
Pat was a bit more like heartfelt and straight to the point, and I'm like trying to figure out how to come at this. So it's Houdini, isn't it? It is. <laughs> um, I mean, Josh alluded to it earlier, but this album came out in July of 1993. Again, we're sticking in that little 10 year window, at least for the three of us so far. I was in my senior year of high school. I don't even remember how I came across it. Initially, I don't remember like the first time I heard anything off of it, but I immediately fell in love with the band as a whole and just like went back, bought the album prior to it as well as the EP. And it was my soundtrack and still is on a lot of days. I'll never forget uh, driving up to college. I had my escort packed full of stuff. My mom was with me and we were driving together. She was going up with me and she was going to fly back after she dropped me off at college. And we're sitting in the car and we're driving and she's like, I don't know how you can listen to this. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, it's so hypnotic because <laughs> she couldn't tell the difference between the songs. And the album I'm talking about is, is the smashing pumpkin Siamese dream, which again, it's probably no surprise to anybody. No, no I almost called the album. Although if I was forced to guess when I was calling my shot, I probably would have guessed wrong and said melancholy and the infinite sadness. And something about this record just hits my sweet spot across the board. You know, the big wall of guitars, the kind of lush melodies, the the fact that it does kind of bleed into each other sometimes to where you're listening to it. It's it's like there's not like any hard kind of, OK, now I'm on this song. Now I'm on this song. And I was kind of reading about it a little bit here before we actually get to my song choice. And I, I didn't realize how much like problems there were with this album billy corgan was going through some major depression ended up in therapy because of that that brought up all this repressed stuff that then turned into the songs that were on the album there was infighting between the band darcy was on drugs she had broken up with james jimmy was on drugs too and it ended up that billy kind of took over the album to where he was re-recording the bass tracks and the other guitar tracks because he was just turning into this is was his baby and I was reading some little factoids here before we started. And just like, for example, uh, where to go on the song Soma, it contains up to 40 overdubbed guitar parts. Wow. And up to a hundred guitar parts were compressed into a single song on at least one of them. And he's doing stuff on the left side that is different than on the right side. And it's just kind of this, if you listen to it on headphones, it's like this kind of oral buffet of sound and and it just it makes me happy but my favorite song off the album and arguably one of my favorite songs of all time is hummer which is the song about when he finally got over his writer's block which was part of the reason he fell into a depression that then sent him to therapy that then turned into the album the part where he says um, uh, my tongue fat with promise and how he was finally free to to write again uh, interesting fun fact about the song on a personal note when i was doing theater 
this was a song I would listen to before every show at some point, whether it was literally before I walked on stage for the first time or it was at some point prior to performing. That was my kind of clear in my head song. Yeah, that that album still to this day is top of my list when people ask. All right, I guess I'm up then. I, I had a backup pick. In addition to us going in introduction order, I wanted specifically to go last because I'm going a little bit more mainstream. So I was afraid that uh, I would be the one who was duplicated. Hmm. Uh, my backup pick that I did not use was Metallica's Black Album, which is their most commercial album, but it's still probably the album of theirs I've heard the most. Like I have some strong memories. Oh, yeah. But... It's interesting that Joel noticed the uh, pattern we've made here because I both break and reinforce the pattern at the same time. Because the album which I'm choosing came out actually before I was born in 1975. Whoa. However, I discovered it in 1992 when a oh. whole other people did. Peter Frampton live. <laughs> he makes his guitar talk. It's going to be Queen, A Night at the Opera, which, like many people in Gen X, really got into Queen because of Wayne's World. Yeah. In 1992. A Night at the Opera began, like we talked about this when we did the show all on Queen quite a bit. But like A Night at the Opera was my first big jump from wearing out the uh, singles especially like the Bohemian Rhapsody or I, I had a few of them and then like delving deep into a kind of magic, which is its own album, but it's really the Highlander soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Like a night at the opera. I think I actually bought before a kind of magic. And uh, I don't know uh, if you guys remember this from the apartment, but Patrick had a, it was either a five or a six disc CD changer. And I had a cassette. Yep. That was, mine and it got to the point where patrick i played it so much that patrick got angry every time it was on <laughs> i remember it had a night at the opera ace of bass the sign green day's dookie yeah. ladies gordon uh shoot i was going over this with sarah yesterday there, was, there had to have been a tmbg in there somewhere yeah that's a fair oh, yeah, there's a tmbg uh uh Probably Lincoln. Mm. And I think you had a six disc because I'm certain that Queen's Drake Empire was the last one. Yep. It was that six pretty disc. much summarizes our college years right there. Just toss in, uh, geez, toss some Counting Crows in there too. And <laughs> Steve Miller Crow. Band. Steve Miller Band. Say Steve Miller Band, yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, obviously, this has got, this is one of those that the album works for me beginning to end, even though I recognize that I'm in love with my car is not a great song. If okay, I I'm in love with my car is not a great song unless it's the exact right circumstances, which is David Tennant driving his car through a flame, a wall of flame. And I actually think it works in the context of the album, even though it's one of Queen's weakest songs. Mm. But uh, fuck that song. Uh, I think you guys aren't going to be surprised, but uh, the song that speaks to me on this one personally, even more than Bohemian Rhapsody, even though the big radio hits are what drew me to these guys in the first place, it's a little off the beaten path. It's a song called The Prophet Song. Oh, really? Mm-hmm.
So, I mean, this song with like the biblical references and the apocalyptic overtones and four-part harmony, even when I'm pretty sure uh, they're all... Pretty sure that uh, all four tracks, or oh, yeah, at some point I'm pretty sure it's layered up to eight. They're all Freddy, but uh, yeah, this this song when I first heard it, it it blew my mind. Yeah, I, I knew I I should have just gone ahead and typed that out. I knew you were gonna pick that song as soon as you heard the album. You knew, or did, yeah. were you pretty sure this yeah. was my album? No, no, no. I as soon as you picked the album, I'm like, of course, and of course it's gonna be the Prophet song. <laughs> yeah, I remember you always wanted to do a little stage production to that song too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an eight-minute song. Yeah, that's one of the the uh, another band that I found in high school again, probably because of Wayne's World as well, and it stuck with me. And now my kids are fans. Uh, they're just one of those bands, so I, I definitely can't fault you on your pick. Well, and the song in particular, uh, it, it's probably my earliest experience with prog rock. Because that's a lot of people call this early mystical prog rock. Like this would fit in on a King Crimson album. So that's going to link unsurprisingly to my choice in the second half. See, I think what Joel had was mentioning earlier about the time span of us discovering these songs, like when you like. I th- this sounds weird, but I th- it has to do with us driving. It has to do with us going to work. It has with us because, like, I was into, into uh, in high school. I was big into in excess. I was also big into like REM. Before I was driving, it was, "Hey, mom, can you put this put this tape on?" And then you know she pops it in there, and it's REM's Green, and you've got Michael Stipe singing Hair Shirt, <laughs> which I dig. But my mom was like, "What is this shit?" Pops it out. You know, all right, we're listening to. You know, say la vie again or whatever. Well, your mom saw Janis Joplin in concert, so her standards are kind of high. Her standards are my my mom saw Janis Joplin and the Beatles live. So, yeah. and if you ever see her, ask her about the Janis Joplin concert because from what I she's told me, she finished a bottle of Wild Turkey before the first set was over. Your mom she said it was, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> my, my, yeah. Uh, anyway, amazing, but um. I will say that I'm going to have to break the pattern again because you may have forgotten this, Mike, but I didn't even know how to drive a car until we were almost out of the apartment. Oh, shit. That's right. Patrick taught me how to drive. I didn't have a car until uh, I think Pat was already moved downstairs. Yep. That explains why you drive like shit. (laughs) (laughs) I got a little bit better when I was putting 500 miles a week on my car driving for Lyft. A little bit. Yeah. That'll do it. I, but I mean, there, there's a, I wish I could remember the the thing I saw, but I had seen an article at some point years ago about how music tastes don't change after age 30 or something. I don't remember what the statistic was. It was some, I think it's bullshit, but that's kind of why I was focusing on the timeline because I, you know, you think about, and obviously in this case, we're kind of hindered by the fact that we're trying to go pre 2000 or at least pre 2010 at the, at the latest. And so that changes things. But I mean, it's kind of a pivotal point in your life, especially high school and in early college, if you go Mm -hmm. to where those things really are cemented because of the experiences you're having, the kind of wide range of emotions that are going on, you know, everything that you're, you're going through kind of transitioning from child to teen to adult. So it's not a surprise that, we would pick albums that kind of fall into that rough same time zone. 
but you know, I, if you think about it, if we weren't hindering it by the year that it came out, your favorite album now could very well be an album that came out in 1975, for example. Uh, yeah, and I do think you, there is something to that concept of formative media, and I think for a lot of people, it is going to hit like sometime between their junior year of high school and their second year of college. Uh, mm-hmm. A buddy of mine on Facebook just put together uh, his like personal top ten lists of songs and best album of the year from 1970 to like 2019, and he said that like the big years for him were the years he was in college. So I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It feeds exactly into what Joel says, even though this guy's a little younger than we are. And you think about people that are like, well, oh, music stopped being good after blah, blah, whatever year they pick, which typically, from my experience anyway, for a lot of people, generally speaking, whatever that, that year is roughly between high school and, and college. And there are some people that go on beyond that. And I think all of us are in that group where, you know, we're not afraid to see what's out there and kind of enjoy things that are current and not say that everything sucks. But there's a larger population of people that kind of get stunted. And once they hit that wall, they don't go past it for whatever reason. Okay. This may have something to do with me interacting with you, Joel, because you introduced me to so much, so much music just hanging out with you, that sort of thing that I think that's definitely carried forward into now because I mean, like my girls be like, Oh my, Oh daddy, you totally have to listen to this song. And I give it an option. You know, I give it, Hey, let me listen to it once and I'll let you know what I think. Or they'll listen to something and I'll be like, you know, this sounds really similar to this album. That's kind of like, was it what there was one? I can't remember the band that the girl played for me, but my daughters played for me. It was like, they totally like this new song. And I was like, okay, you like this. You may want to look up Susie and the Banshees because this sounds just like Susie and the Banshees. And it's kind of carrying that, that knowledge forward where you're hopefully raising kids. And Joel helped me out with this is, you know, music is what you love, but give everything at least give everything at least three and a half minutes. It's funny you mention that because I talk about that six disc cassette of Pats that became mine. Uh, four of those were bands that Joel introduced me to, and only two of them were not. Uh, and Queen was one of them. The other was Queensryche, which I believe I introduced you guys to. Yeah. Which is funny because my brother accidentally bought Empire thinking it was a Queen album. <laughs> guys that- are saying some of the nicest things you've ever said, and I'm kind of. All for Clint. Well, I mean, Joel, I mean, what? So don't get used to it. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I know. But it's it's one of my things that I I try. I I've spent a lot of my time trying to do. That's why I do the show I do. Is I like sh- I like music and I like sharing music. So it makes me happy that it has been a thing longer than that. You know, it's funny with my kids. I didn't because I I'm constantly listening to new things and I'm looking for new things. There's it's, it's hard for them to really lock into one thing because I'm onto something else by the time they get on into it. So I've kind of let them find their own way. I never pushed anything on them and I've let them find their own, you know, preferences. And along the way, they've, there's some things that, that have stuck or that they found on their own, like queen, for example, but 
you know, then like Juliana is, she loves show tunes. Who knew? Yeah. Um, my daughter is, see, you know, one of the things like we move them all to sprint for us for the phones. And when you get sprint, everybody gets their own. It's title is their, their music thing. Best things ever is finally they have their own music log on and they're not all sharing the Amazon account because I would put on the my album thing on there and I would get like there was a good six month period of time where they were like into chiptune. Ah, uh, yeah. Which if you guys, Josh and Pat, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like imagine if somebody oh, did yeah. all pop songs that were all done with uh sixteen bit video game arcade sounds. Or even eight bit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's I and mean, it's all right. I'm like, okay, cool. You're expanding your horizons. You're listening to this sort of thing, but goddamn, you're listening to a lot of it because it's been playing the last six songs. Joel, I mean, it, you introduced me to new stuff. I mean, the music thing is, I don't ever want to become the old man who goes, I like what I like, and you know, all the music from now on is crap. Because no, there's there's a lot of good music coming out nowadays. It's just now like the internet, you really got to dig for it. Yeah, it's a glut. And that's one of the things I really like about what we do with this show is that we go into the billboard charts and I found stuff through this show and I, and I'm hoping that other people kind of go, eh, maybe they're, maybe they're right. Maybe there is more out there for the people that are curmudgeonly. Yeah. Is that a, is that a proper use of that word? It is now. I think it is. It like, is. Yeah. Okay. You're like Shakespeare making up words. I'm curious if uh, Octane will go this uh, octave will go this deep for uh, one of my favorite chip tunes. I doubt it. Based on Bubble Bobble. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Oh shit. Holy shit, goddamn this is an annoying fucking song. But you'll get it stuck inside your head and you'll sing it all night long. I said now nah, holy shit, goddamn this is an annoying fucking song. But you'll get it stuck inside your head and you'll sing it all night long. This is the game that doesn't end. 100 levels and start again. Uh, fun fact, I've been friends with Mad Hatter since 2006. Really? Yeah, what? Mad Hatter was one of my pickups when I first got into Nerdcore uh, through uh, a website that I think is defunct called The 61. Yep, he uh, he was a big part of the Awful Show days, and we became friends, and I, I still talk to him from time to time. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. But... Well, that's awesome. I, I hope he listens to the show and knows that independent of your influence, I, I, I did a random call out to him because, yeah, that that song, AFS was one of my big uh, The 61 tracks. Nice. That's funny. Because as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah. Because uh, I, I have his stuff on my phone still. My favorite of his songs, and I'm trying to see if I've... Uh, is Operation N313, which is about uh, Metal Gear. That, that's my favorite Mad Hatter song. Did he uh, sample Metal Gear for that one as well? Yeah. It's it's I know that song by heart. But anyway, yeah, Pat, it's not your thing. It's OK. It definitely helps if if you remember the music. From yeah. from Bubble Bobble. Yeah, I, I play Bubble Bobble a lot. And it does have that. Oh, no, it's in my head now kind of quality, which is what that song's all about. Yeah. Now, see, 
if we're going to nerdcore, do you guys know uh, MC Front a lot? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm big kind of Front. Okay, yeah, he's he's probably my favorite of the nerdcore uh, nerdcore crew. I mean, just I've got I got his album uh, Favoritism when uh, off of a humble bundle, and was just like, yikes! This is this. I hate to say it, this guy sings to me. <laughs> uh, that's just it. If you're if if you dig through the nerdcore artists, you'll find one or two people that are specifically kind of pointed it right in your face. And it's like looking in a mirror, and then there's some that you're kind of like, okay, they're a little out there. And then there's some that you're just like, holy shit, these people really should be more popular than they are. Mm-hmm. There's there's some really amazing artists that we came across over the years. All right, have we uh, kind of tapped out our uh, yeah. van? Yeah, we to... went down a, a weird path. Not a weird <laughs> path, a good path. Yeah. we. I mean, we always wander down a weird path. I mean, that's just a given. When we come back, we are going to uh, see what the now is, which I think there's going to be some conversation. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, surprises on the the next half of the show, and we will be back in just a little bit. No surprises from me. (laughs) Yeah. It's the only one that I was pretty sure I know what it is. All right, we are back, and we are going to talk about favorite albums now. And uh, one of the things that I had commented in the first was back then, it was, back then, we used to go to stores and buy our stuff. And for the now, it took me a long time to figure out the last time I've actually listened to an album and not like a playlist you know, not li- not listen to my mix on whatever streaming service that I use. So I'm curious to see how all this is going to break down. How about you guys? When thinking about this, do you? I mean, when was the last time you actually bought a CD? Uh, last week. Shut up, Joel. <laughs> the new Hum album came out, so yeah, I bought it. I still buy physical media, so. And I don't. But I think my last one was probably the Decemberists. Oh, such Ooh. a great band. Trying to remember which album it was. That's one that Laura introduced me to. I'm a fan now. Yeah, Decemberists are pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm not actually sure which album it was, but oh, it was probably Picaresque. Yeah, because it would have been, uh, I remember I was living in Hyde Park with Sarah. Okay. That was a while ago, too. That was 2005. Wow. Wow, that is going back a ways. I've never been a physical media guy, though. As soon as uh, uh, downloads became available from movies, I stopped buying CD, uh, DVDs. Mm. See, I I am huge. I mean, I lo- you guys know I love Goodwill. And I have found a lot of CDs. I'm I'm big on physical media because I'm like, I don't know how long I'm going to have the streaming service. Sometimes things aren't available. Sometimes they come and they go. And I rip mixes on CDs for the fam. I do do the same thing. I I like buying CDs and DVDs at Goodwill. Yeah. And then I put stuff together and I give it to the girls on a disc called Shit You Should Listen To. You know, it's like... (laughs) (laughs) I like having having physical media. It's kind of two reasons. One... It's not going to change. I always can get it. You know, I always can access it. And two, it kind of looks nice sitting on the shelf. 
my movies are the equivalent of a library for me. Yeah, they really I, are. I don't really read. And it if somebody comes over and they go look at it, that's me in a nutshell with Laura mixed in and the kids stuff. And yeah, I mean, things that you love don't always end up on physical media or, or like, I'm sorry, on like streaming services. Or if you have a digital copy of it, say your computer is toast and it's not something that you have backed up somewhere else. I like knowing that I have a copy. Plus for me, especially with like some of the obscure stuff I like, I like the extra features that some of the boutique companies put out where you've got interviews and, and uh, documentaries and things about the stuff that I love and I like learning. And that's something you can't always get on the streaming service. That's true. I mean, uh, you guys were talking about mixed CDs. I know there's like this dead zone for new music for me from about 2002, about 2005, where I almost consumed nothing new because I was just making MP3 mix CDs because I realized that I could burn a CD and I actually owned an MP3 CD player. So I'd do a mix CD that would have like 40 tracks on it. I'd distribute it to people who could play it on their computers. Okay. See, I'm I'm trying with the whole music thing. I'm I found my old like second gen iPod. It's like an old school 20 gig with the wheel and everything and I'm one of my projects for the summer is to crack that thing open and pop in a solid state drive into there and then just put all my music on it. I do go through iTunes because Joel was talking about the concern that uh, your music will go away. Uh, I'm not typically an Apple guy, but if iTunes goes away, we're probably in Mad Max territory anyway. So I got bigger <laughs> problems than not being able to get my fucking music. <laughs> You're going to be listening to the guy on the front of the car with the, the flaming guitar at that point. Oh, the Duff Warrior? Duff, yeah, no. Duff Warrior. Whatever. I love that song. I don't have a choice but to love that song. I'm sorry, Furia. <laughs> sorry. I mean, I don't buy as many CDs as I used to. There are specific artists that I will buy albums for, partially to support them, like Juliana Hatfield, yes, Patrick. Um partially because I like to have that particular band, the the physical copy on the shelf. Music's probably the one place that I have shifted a bit more to digital. And a lot of it isn't necessarily available. They don't make it available on, on physical media or it's only on vinyl and, and MP3 and that's it. So it's sometimes a little harder to find a CD copy of something. Um, and vinyl is just really fucking expensive if it's brand new. So... I still can't get over the fact that vinyl has come back in such a big way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some artists put stuff out on cassette now. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I, that's more, I think just as kind of a nostalgia thing than a, uh, I actually like the way it sounds thing. But if you look at like independent artists that are, are making music like on Bandcamp or something, which I do a lot of my, uh, searching on there, it, they're releasing it. You know, you can buy their T-shirt, you can buy the MP3 download, or you can buy vinyl. More often yeah. than CDs, in a lot of cases, it's crazy. Hey, are okay. So, in the vinyl thing, I'm just tossing this out there for anybody who lives in the Naperville area. Purple Dog Vinyl. Down, I think they're moving to downtown Naperville. That's a uh, a buddy of mine and his wife run that place, and they have a huge selection of really good stuff there. So, so yeah. So let's get on to the albums. So 
again, took me a while to think about this. I mean, it up. I was not sure what I was going to have until literally I finally decided on my album right around lunchtime today. And yeah, it, yeah, it took me a long time to think about it because it was one of those things like, what do I listen to in the car a lot? If it's an album, if I'm in the mood for not just something on random, but just like a beginning to end type of thing. And two, so strange because two albums popped up the one that did not make the cut which may maybe maybe not shot uh make you guys take a step back but there is an album called suicide girls black heart retrospective and it's yes it's those suicide girls but it's yeah it's a mix of Everything from Ministry to the Alkaline Trio to Bauhaus, the Killing Joke, Skinny Puppy, um, Joy Division. So it's I, I really have to be in a right mood to listen to it. But it's one of those that I have on my phone right now. But I really have to be in a you really have to be in a mood to listen to Joy Division. Yeah, that is a certain mindset. Yeah, it really is. And it's a great album if you listen to it. But the one I went with for my favorite for the now is actually it's a soundtrack and there's two versions of it and i'm i'm kind of bouncing between the two of them for this one but it's the tron legacy soundtrack Hmm. Uh, the the original one done by daft punk probably one of the better not in the top 10 to 5 soundtracks that i've listened to Uh, and there's also tron legacy reconfigured where these were remixed by everybody from Crystal Meth to Paul Oakenfield to Moby and uh, Avicii did one of these also. But the Tron Legacy, I don't know if Josh can line this one up, but look for Clue, just CLU. One of my favorite ones. Uh, is that the artist or the song? The song. By? Uh, by Def, Def Punk. One of my favorite ones on this one. It's... Yes, I mean, I've always loved soundtracks. I've always liked, you know, music from the movies just because, like, the first movie soundtrack that I ever bought was the original Batman uh, 1989 Michael Keaton version. Love the movie, bought the soundtrack, and I can see the scenes in the movie as I listen. The other part of it is, is that you've got this full orchestra with Daft Punk playing. This is one of those soundtracks that I will listen to and get to a couple of the songs on there when you look down. Like I'm driving home from whatever and and suddenly I realize I'm doing 95. It's fun. It's great to listen to. I was actually at the, I went to the Tron opening night for the Tron, Tron legacy uh, release when it came out on the movies and all that. And I remember that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I have a Tron hoodie. It's got like the glow in the dark lines on it. Like I'm Tron. Susie lets me chase her around the backyard with a Frisbee. (laughs) 
But no, that's what I chose for mine. I did not see that coming. Yeah, I, I don't. You could have given me a hundred guesses. I wouldn't have got there. It took me a long time to think about this. I really, I mean, this is the, I was going like, but why I brought up physical media, because this is one of the few physical discs that I sought out and bought to have this, to have the music with. I like soundtracks. It's always been a thing for me. And this one, and I love Tron. And I listened to this one actually a lot more than I anticipated in looking at my playlist and that and listen time and all that. Interesting. Yeah, I like Daft Punk. I'd never heard anything from this. Uh, like we when we did the Tron show, I probably heard it when I watched the movie, but that was about it. Oh, listen to the soundtrack because you get Daft Punk with a full orchestra behind them, and it if you like techno and trance type music, definitely check out the Tron Legacy configured with all the remixes on it. And actually, D-Res by Avicii is the one that was really good off the D- off the uh, reconfigured album. Yeah, sad to hear when he passed. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was really good on that album. But tagging in, Pat. Who, me? Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. What? He said he was tagging. I don't know. You're Patrick. Joel, oh. and I'm Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's all I, I, I get, I'm sorry, I got really distracted by the Hacksaw Jim Duggan line. <laughs> that's of all the wrestlers out there, that's the one you fall for? That's the one that, that popped into my brain, yeah. Huh. Mm. Maybe because I'm always carrying around a two by four? I, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. That in your eyes. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, the, uh, the album that I choose is. From 2006, it is the first number one album this this guy has had since 1976. A 65-year-old Bob Dylan released an album called Modern Times. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's basically it's a it's his take on a lot of old standards, a lot of uh, really old blues songs and things that have gone into public domain at this point. Hmm. I love Bob Dylan as a rule and his stuff from like 1997, 98-ish on has been just, the guy has not lost a a bit of anything, hasn't skipped a beat. I actually was introduced to this CD uh, by my mother. She was playing it one day and I asked her what it was and ever since then I've I've listened to it a lot. I I borrowed from her a lot to listen to. Uh, Nice. He just released a record actually. Like just uh, in the past month, if even the past couple weeks, even maybe uh, he just dropped a new album. But he is currently the oldest living person to have an album debut at number one. Not a surprise. The guy just poops talent. If, if I had to pick a song from it, I would I would say "When the Levee Breaks." I really like huh. that. I'm familiar with the original. Everybody saying this is the tale the 
I've pretty much always liked Bob Dylan. And like Joel said, he has not not lost much at all. I I just I'm amazed with how he's again transitioned and uh, I don't know. I just yeah, I'm a fan. Interesting, I was just looking at this. Mike's choice was from 2010. Yours is 2006, and when we get to mine, whenever you're you're done, mine was 2009. So mine's 2010. Huh. So we're in a little ten year span of time again. Interesting. What's well, less amazing when we have a twenty year period we're pulling from? Shut up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know because I think the phases you go through from what's your past your formative media stage. There's a lot. Uh, I do think it's a weirder coincidence that we picked within the same two years in the post 2000 era. That's, uh, but we didn't, it was all within like eight years. We had 2010, 2010, 2009 and 2006. Oh, four years, four years. For some reason, I thought the 2006 was another nine. It's still, in my mind, it's still relatively close, but what's interesting is, you know how diverse things have been on the first two songs and they're about to get diverse again get more diverser diverser maybe not for me per se but for us as a whole but anyway pat i i don't want to cut you off sorry no i would i would i was done oh okay i mean what more can you say about bob dylan everybody knows who he is I, i would hope so well for mine this one for people who who know me, it might not be a surprise, but I found this band because I was a longtime subscriber to to CMJ, the College Music Journal, and it came with a CD. Usually had like between twenty and forty songs on it. There was a song on there by this band, and they were equated with Smashing Pumpkins. So I was like, okay, I got to check these guys out. Heard the song on there, fell in love, bought the album when it came out, bought the EP. Uh, incidentally, this is the second album, full-length album from this band. They started with an EP. So essentially, they're following the Smashing Pumpkins, who did the exact same thing. The band is comprised of a male lead singer, a female bassist who also sings, an Asian uh, guitar player as a second guitar player, and a generic drummer guy. Um, so it's Houdini, is what you're saying? <laughs> it is. So it's essentially the same makeup as the smashing pumpkins but it's not the smashing pumpkins my album for this time is swoon by the silver sun pickups came out 2009 and i was just incredibly geeked to hear this album after the the first album and the ep were were so much a part of my uh, music dietary needs for that time period and it it just is one of those records like start to finish I listened to it on repeat for upwards of a year. I mean, I cycled other things in and out a little bit here and there, but it just was on repeat constantly. And I, I was, as I was going through the album looking for a song that I wanted to play, it was hard because every song I, I picked, I was like, oh God, I love this song. So it became kind of a, a difficult choice, but they're very much in the same vein uh, as, as Smashing Pumpkins in a lot of way. The lead singer, Brian, is got kind of a nasally high, falsetto kind of tenor voice. Uh, there's lots of big walls of fuzzy guitars, lots of noise going on. 
and they've kind of followed the same trend where their more recent albums have gotten a bit more electronic. They're kind of gone a little more spooky in some regards with some of the the, the sound uh, escapes that they're using. It's it's very much I've I've equated them with being kind of the spiritual predecessor or the love child of of Billy Corgan, and so the song I picked kind of stays in line with that Siamese dream kind of flavor instead of going with some of the other stuff on the album that is a bit more eclectic. But uh, the song I chose is uh, "Surrounded" or "Spiraling," which is the the last song on the on the album. They, uh, Brian writes great hooks, and once you know the songs, they're very kind of you can sing along with them. I don't know. I was singing along with that in my head as 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 it was playing, and they're one of those bands that just hits that sweet spots for me. And they just released an album about a year ago, and just phenomenal. Yeah, to me, it almost sounded like you had letters to Cleo in there a little bit. that's just it. I mean, he's got hooks where even though there's this kind of, you know, the songs tend to be about five minutes each, it still feels a lot like in some of the ways as, as, you know, a good three minute pop song, but with a lot more going on. Interesting band. I'm, I'm hoping to see them live at some point. I missed them when they were here in March. I think that was right before COVID happened. I'm hoping at some point I'll be able to see them live. All right, I guess that brings us to me. These guys and longtime listeners will not be surprised whatsoever because there's pretty much, aside from whatever's on the radio, one band I've been listening to since 2010. (laughs) In terms of picking up new stuff, I mean, my music tastes are a little bit more diverse. I'll pick up a couple songs here and there, but I I really, uh, it's really been all about Poets of the Fall from Finland. Uh, these guys I first discovered while playing Alan Wake on the Xbox 360. They have a very personal relationship with the studio Remedy, who does the Alan Wake series, who did Max Payne 1 and 2. One of their big breakouts was Late Goodbye from Max Payne 2. The uh, song, the, the album I picked from them is actually Twilight Theater. And this was a kind of a difficult choice for me because uh, aside from one or two of their albums, like I'm really all in on these guys. And uh, I, I was thinking about as an album, which is the one that I want to listen to beginning to end every song flowing into the other. And these guys are prog rock, but with a very alternative metal sort of feel. I finally got to see them live. If you listen to our concerts show last year, they came to the U.S. for their second time ever. And Sarah and I were there. And the song I have selected is. And you got to meet them. Don't don't just gloss over that. Yeah. Got to meet them both at the signing before the show and got to drink with a number of the members of the band afterwards at the hotel party, which is crazy because they showed up literally about 30 seconds after we decided to leave. Like, I, we recognized them as we were standing up to get out of there. <laughs> so uh, that was a, a great thrill. 
Now, when you say Max Payne, you're talking about the the game, not the the horrible movie, right? Yes, I'm talking about the games. Okay. I figured as much, but just checking. Yeah, Remedy, uh, I think, is also a studio based out of Finland. And like a lot of Nordic bands, like if you want your art, whatever it is, to extend beyond your country, you do it in English. So, yeah, almost everything they do is in English. Uh, all their albums Other, are in English. Otherwise, you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the, the re- one of the reasons I chose this particular song is it is actually the second song I ever heard by them and the first song under them their name in Max Payne. Sorry, not Max Payne, uh, Alan Wake. Uh, they actually first appear in Alan Wake as a band called Old Gods of Asgard, which is like a 70s metal band that is also really them. But uh, there's a radio in a big combat sequence where they play the song War. I can't let the memory heal. I will remember you with me on that field. When I thought that I thought this you were there by my side on the line. So yeah, when I first heard that song, I was immediately spellbound and went to YouTube to see what these guys were all about. Pretty much never stopped. These are some of the first uh, artists who I decided uh, when it comes to digital media, I'm not going to pirate. I'm going to buy all the albums, quite a bit of my iTunes. Every soundtrack has had their albums on it. And they're kind of like a fusion of everything I've loved from the beginning. Progressive rock, alternative, heavy metal, well, you introduced him to me, and I have been digging him since you, like, right before you left to go see him overseas, I had been listening to him, and they're, they've definitely made their way into my playlist. I'm glad to hear that, because one of the reasons, aside from the fact that they are very personally important to me, is my hope that even if we just make a couple new fans uh, through, I, I know we don't have thousands of listeners, but there are people who listen to the show, and if someone has that same aha moment I had, when playing a writer in the Pacific Northwest dodging shadows with a shotgun while war is playing on the radio. If anyone has that same moment and decides to check these guys out, uh, I'm happy. I gotta say, we had some very eclectic, an eclectic mix there. Well, I mean, just personality-wise, we are all over the freaking place, so I'm not surprised that we are like... Fuck you, what do you mean by that? I mean, you're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from Texas. I don't know. What the hell do I mean by that? <laughs> you want to fight about it? Did, yeah, did I yeah, do yes. something? Did I? <laughs> no. Not at all. Or I'm playing Christian country acid house music. I can do it too. Uh, he can. Let's, let's not make <laughs> him do it. Don't challenge me. I'll do it. Yeah, let's not make him do it though, please. Yeah, so it's good though. I mean, I like that though. That's a good thing because we all found our niche and we kind of we kind of went in different directions or the same directions. Um, and I, we all have crossovers still, as we found in our Billboard shows. Mm-hmm. It makes me happy, and I and I was curious to see what you guys would choose. And that's the only artist that I, I legitimately knew from the time we picked this, that that's one of them we were going to hear, uh-huh. but I wasn't sure where everybody else was going to end up. And 
it's been fun. I like that we didn't we didn't uh, reveal it ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, we took a little bit of a risk with prep and having to play songs on the fly, but uh, no, I was pretty happy with the show. Yeah, and I'm happy to see that everybody is still finding things and and seeking stuff out, and that we've all still got a passion for it. You know, that's a good thing. Music's important. Yeah, it, it it is. And I think it's one of those things that, especially with the four of us, that we have been, I mean, like the, the five-pack CD player, or six-pack CD player, everybody had their own package of discs that they played. You know, it's kind of honed us to be able to listen to anything that may show up that may be new to us. So it's kind of nice. So if you've got your favorite albums that you want to tell us about from then or now, maybe both, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yeah. And uh, again, if you're looking for our older stuff, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM. Leave us a review on Podchaser. And also you can find us on uh, Spotify and on iHeartRadio. Joel, what do we have next week? Next week, we're going to unsolve some mysteries or wait we're gonna solve some unsolvable we're doing something well all right <laughs> i don't know what it is but unsolved mysteries unsolved mysteries yeah we're going with the the new show just dropped on netflix this week yeah so we're gonna go back to the original and we may bop around in the remake the mid-90s remake you know see uh what's out there but yeah we're delving into the mysteries and uh we'll be back next week with all of that stuff in the meantime do like josh says give us a call get us on um discord and uh facebook let us know what uh what your favorite album is let us know if we learn something new we're not as curmudgeonly as joel has said (laughs) get off my lawn I'm a curmudgeon. (laughs) Mike just sat on a tube of paint. And I see your true colors shining through. Not so much shining through, more more leaking. <laughs> Dripping through. <laughs> That's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let it flow. Your poo colors. <laughs> <laughs> They're beautiful like a rainbow. Cindy Plopper. <laughs> no point in going on now huh nope no we're done let's just wrap it all up (laughs) craig was recording edit it down throw that shit out (laughs) it's pretty much a show anyway you want to hear about our favorite albums too bad here's some poop jokes yep done